Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Normal for our church family. Um, If you don't know, Greg's dad passed away. And if you were with us early um, in the inception of Southside, Dave and Sue were around a lot. And um, we got a... I mean, I got just an amazing chance to get to know him. Uh, just an amazing guy. And he struggled with Parkinson's or battled with Parkinson's for a long time. And he was just one of those people that when he came into the room and he talked to you, even though he had, you know, a battle, he would engage and he would look you in your eyes and he would encourage you. And so, He's just, he's a man that's going to be missed. Um, so, yeah, this is a harder week because Greg and Kara and the whole family and Kenzie and Abby, they're grieving for the loss of a, an amazing man. And I'm grieving with Greg too because Greg's one of my closest friends. Um, uh, we're pastors together, but more than that, we're actual friends. And I, I think it's really important for you guys to know that. I've been on church staffs before where church uh, pastors and leaders are not friends. Uh, We go into the building and we do our thing and that's it. And it's really not ministry together. It's more like ministry in the same place. And I don't feel that at all with Greg. We do ministry together. And I want you guys to know that for our church, we are friends Greg and I are really good friends. I mean, we spend an, uh, every single week on Wednesdays, we have a standing meeting that's no shorter than 90 minutes, and it's during our workday, and it's supposed to be for church stuff, and it's always catching up and ministering to each other's hearts and minds. Um, Melissa and Kara, my, my wife and Kara are great friends and I think that's important for you guys to know that as pastors we really really care about each other Um, so the pain that I feel for the Grimwoods is is really real because I love the guy and I don't like to see him hurt Um, so I'm happy to step in and to bring a message this morning But I, I too, am grieving with them. Um, I think it's appropriate for us to talk for just a brief moment uh, how a church is supposed to respond in times like this, whether it's death or any sort of suffering and pain that our church family experiences. Um, Because I think we can can either not know what to do or be weird about what we're supposed to do. And um, So I, I just have a few suggestions. The very first thing is that I think I mean, this seems obvious, but I think it needs to be said. First thing that we do is we should be grieving with the family, with each other. With death, we should grieve with the family. With other pain, we should be grieving with the person. Um, The very first response of the Christian is supposed to be compassion. I mean, that's the whole parable of the Good Samaritan. The religious people messed up because they walked by and they had too much to do. You know, 
The good Samaritan was praised because he had first compassion. Didn't matter who the person was. He had compassion. And so our first response as Christians to each other in pain is supposed to be compassion. We're supposed to be compelled by love to have compassion on one another. And so we're supposed to grieve with each other in our pain. That's what it really means to be a church family. That we, we aren't individuals alone. We are actually communal. We grieve with each other. Jesus always deals with the emotions that are happening right now. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to note that that's true about Jesus. That he cares about exactly how you feel. And he deals with how you feel. He doesn't ask you to ignore your emotions. He doesn't ask you to pretend they're not there. He deals with them exactly how they are. And he gives solutions, and the best solutions, but he never tells you to ignore them. Jesus grieved. I mean, I went to Christian elementary school, and we were supposed to memorize verses. And if you know anything about me, I'm going to figure out the way to win the fastest. So I memorized Jesus wept because it's the shortest verse. It's the easiest one to memorize. Jesus cried. He grieved. And who did he grieve for? He grieved for Lazarus, who was his best friend, one of his best friends. And he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And still he grieved. He cried. He was sad. He felt the emotion. He grieved over his best friend. And so it's important for me to say that as a church, our response to anyone that goes through this is to grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Is to be with each other. Is to wrap our arms around each other. Um, you know, as a young believer and a freedom fighter in my own right, you know, I, I had a time where I thought all that was kind of dumb. You know, just... Whatever, get over it. You, you got God, so who cares? And that's just not the right response. It's, it's okay to not have an answer. It's okay to not have much to say. It's okay to be sad. And, it, and not just in death, in pain. When, when other people have pain, it's okay to say, I'm not sure, but I'm with you. But I'm with you. So that's the first thing. We should grieve with each other. The second thing is that it is appropriate. It's appropriate for Christians to rejoice for eternal life. And that's in death, but also in each other's pain. It is appropriate to rejoice in the fact that our home is not here. And as Christians, we're meant to live differently in the light of the Gospel. Our anger should be different. Our happiness should look different. Our love should look different. Our sacrifice should look different. Our sorrow should look different. Christian grief is that we can deal with the immediate pain while seeing that this is not the end. We have momentary affliction, but we have eternal glory. Th those things go together. Paul didn't say we don't have affliction. He said we have momentary affliction. It, it's real. It's there. There is pain. But it's only momentary compared to the eternal glory. We taught through the book of 1 Thessalonians a few years ago 
And one of the things we learned about eternal life is that believers are reunited with each other in heaven. And so we rejoice for eternal life in the midst of grief. We know that there is more. And so in death, we can have a duality of feelings that we grieve for the loss, but we also rejoice for the eternal life. We can grieve for those who are hurting, but we can also have joy for Dave who doesn't have any more pain. I mean, he, had, he went through a lot. And there is no more sorrow and no more pain and no more tears. And so that we can have joy for him and grieve for each other. So as you think about Greg and Kara and the whole Grimwood family, grieve with them. Grieve with them. It's okay also, though, to have joy for a man who doesn't have to deal with a debilitating disease anymore. So, eternal life with Jesus is the best part of the Christian walk. It's the best part. You get eternity with God. And for Dave, the race has been finished. And it was a good race. So, those are the two things that we do for each other as a church family in pain, in any type of pain. We grieve with each other, but we also point each other to eternity. So whatever pain you have, it's good to feel the emotion, and it's also good to realize as a believer, this is not the end. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Um, so God kind of put all this together. Uh, as I found out what was going on, and I just I said, hey, I'll do it. I'll step in. Um, just a, a few months ago, I was asked to talk to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the high school. And I'm the girls' basketball coach there, so it was a pretty natural. Um, uh, just, it's a, it was a natural way for me to, to, to get into the school and talk to them. And um, they asked me to talk about persevering in their faith. And so that was this past Friday. So I'd been working on that teaching And that teaching was uh, in Romans chapter 5, and that's also in the bulletin this morning. That's going to be our passage. And I felt like God was leading me to talk about rejoicing in our sufferings. And so as I was preparing to teach to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, all this stuff was happening, and so God just really put it together. So I reworked it a little bit, but this is what uh, we're going to talk about this morning, is the beautiful struggle, um, persevering, continuing on in our faith in the midst of pain and grief and sorrow. And um, so that's Romans chapter 5. How do we continue in life when we go through hardship or tragedy or pain? How do we keep going? I mean, I'd say one of the, the number one top reason that uh, unbelievers say they can't believe in God is that there's evil in the world. And it's hard to reconcile. And Hank's smiling at me because we just talked about it in our discipleship pod this week, that you cannot deny that there's hard things in life. How, how do Christians keep going? How do we keep doing it? How do we show up day by day in the midst of very real hardship? Paul gives us an answer in Romans chapter 5, and I'm here to tell you this morning, there is good in your pain. There is good in your pain. None of your pain is wasted. Nothing is wasted. I mean, there's this idea that either either everything is wasted or nothing is. And nothing is wasted. 
Nothing is wasted in the kingdom. And that peace is so crucial for us. As Christians, we believe that our life is worth something. And anything we go through, it's doing something. That's Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good, according to those uh, who are with God. So, Romans 5. 1 through 5. Let's read it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. First thing I want to talk about in the passage is that through Jesus, we have full access to the Father. Through Jesus, we have full access to the Father. Verses 1 and 2 says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through Him we also obtain access by faith. God is not distant. God is near. God is not distant. God is near. And if you're a believer and you have Christ, you have the full access to God right now. Full access to God right now. You don't have to do more. You have everything that you need and you have every right to go to the throne of God boldly. Exactly how you are. You have full access to Him. Why do Christians experience pain? Why is there evil? And just as I mentioned before, our discipleship pod talked about that this week because I don't actually remember why. It got brought up probably in the passage we were reading. And it's really hard to answer. Why does evil happen if God is good? I mean, logically, God could wipe evil off the face of the earth and in all the ways. And there's kitschy things that you heard about it. Like if God wiped out all the evil, he'd wipe out all of us. And I believe that's true. You know, there's lots of things. There's lots of logical conclusions that we can come to. And it's a really hard answer. Why does evil happen? Timothy Keller says this about it. I don't always know why we suffer, but I do know what the reason isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love us or he wouldn't have gotten involved. And it can't be that he doesn't care or he wouldn't have gotten involved. The thing about suffering and pain is that it's not because God doesn't love you. Because God came to be with you in all of your pain, in all of your heartache, in all of your hardship, promising to be there every step of the way. He walks side by side. Through Christ, you have full access to God. And you have the full peace with Him as well. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. And we have access to God, who gives us hope to know that our pain is never wasted. Our pain is never wasted. Full peace in Christ, given, us, given to us by God, 
for confidence for the future. That's what Paul's saying here, is that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of eternity with Him. And the reason is because we have peace by God and access to Him now. So if we have peace with God now, where there's decay all around us, how much better is the peace in the time with God in eternity? That's why we rejoice in the glory of God, because we taste now, we have small tastes now of the peace of God, and we know that we will have the fullness of the peace of God with Him in heaven. And so, the goal is that Christians can live on earth and in heaven at the exact same time. We know that things can be hard, but also we rejoice in what the future holds with, for us with Jesus in heaven. We have the full peace of God given to us. And we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we rejoice in the future glory. But also, we rejoice in the suffering that we endure as well. That's verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So we rejoice in the future glory, but we also rejoice in the suffering that we endure right now. Now, if that's not countercultural, I don't know what is. Right? What other ideology is telling you to rejoice in your suffering? I would say none of them is the answer. And there are all types of suffering. All types of suffering that we rejoice in. There's self-inflicted suffering. And I'm here to tell you, your self-inflicted suffering is not wasted. You know, you didn't, you haven't out-sinned God. If you have self-inflicted suffering, you have not out-sinned God. There's also suffering that happens when you're sinned against. And that suffering can be harder in some senses because you feel like you didn't do anything wrong in the situation. And so, why do I have to go through the pain? That suffering is not wasted either. There's mental suffering. There's physical suffering. Our bodies break down. There's emotional suffering. We can't come around ourselves. We spiral. There's all sorts of ways that we suffer emotionally. Not all suffering is the same. Some is much harder than others, but one thing we do know is that with all types of suffering, it's not wasted. It's not wasted. You know, typically we're taught that the best thing for you is to not endure pain. The best thing is to not endure pain. If it's hard, you should run from it. If it hurts, you shouldn't experience it. If it's painful, you don't need to endure it. The goal for life is to be happy and to never go through anything hard. And in a sense, that kind of sounds good. But you guys are all human beings, so you know that that's just not reality. I mean, that's not possible. It's impo if you have any person around you at any time, it's impossible to live life without pain. It's just not a thing. 
And so the problem with this ideology that you should never feel or endure pain is that it, one, if everything was easy, you would never get older. You would never grow up. I mean, there's a thing called growing pain. Like if you become, if you go from a little kid and you become older, it hurts. Your bones start to grow, right? The problem is that if you never have to go through anything hard, you never become more than a child. You don't grow up. You don't grow out. The goal, though, for a Christian is to be a thriving person. And the Christian version of thriving is not the avoidance of pain. It's accepting pain, giving it to God, and letting it do something for you. Because when the stuff hits the fan, and it will hit the fan, it will. With Christ, you're capable to deal with it. So instead of running from hard things, the Christian response is actually to rejoice in the suffering. And that is impossible without God. I mean, that is impossible without God. Impossible without God. The goal is to be able to see your suffering and to be able to say, God, I don't know about this, but you do. And there's good and it's not wasted. So why does Paul tell us that we rejoice in our sufferings? How, like, how is that possible? What's the reason? And i got three things for us this morning, and then that's going to be it. Why do we rejoice in our suffering? The first thing is this. We rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's really easy sometimes to preach through Paul's letters because he gives you the outline. Suffering produces endurance. This is true in all aspects of life, but it's also, I mean, especially true in sports. And I'm a basketball coach, so I get to see it every single day. Why do you condition? Why do you put yourself through the suffering of pushing your lungs to the brink? Because to condition creates endurance. To condition creates endurance. And if you're an athlete, the hope is that when you get to your game or your match or whatever it is, that when you get there, you're prepared for it, right? You get there and you're ready to compete. You have done the suffering that it takes to be ready to compete for whatever you're going up against. As a basketball coach, the first thing that we expect from our athletes is that they can run for a sustained amount of time. And if you cannot run, if you can't run, you can't play basketball for me. And that's just the simple way to say it. We're playing fast. We rebound and we go right away. We want to push the pace. If a team scores on us, we want to get it out as fast as we can and we want to go. We want to show that we are more conditioned than you. And so if you're going to play basketball for the Worcester Generals, you are going to be able to run. It's just bar none. So we, we have a conditioning test at tryouts. You have to run a half mile right away. It's the first thing we do. And you got to run it under a certain amount of time. Um, I won't go into all the details. But if you can't condition, you can't play. You can't play because I can't trust you to be able to perform if you haven't put your lungs through the proper suffering. If you do, if you do suffer through the running, though, if you suffer through the conditioning instead of avoid the running, and this is what happens with high school athletes, 
you know, they take four or five months off. They avoid the suffering. They avoid the suffering. And then, you know, the coach has a whistle and they say, okay, it's time to go now. Guess what happens? You have not created endurance. And it hurts a lot. Your lungs, if you, if you don't avoid the, the suffering, your lungs do build endurance. And you're, and you're able to perform at peak performance. This is the same thing that happens with our hearts and our souls. If you endure the sufferings of this world, with the first point, the peace and access of God, you are being made into a stronger person. Suffering creates endurance. Suffering creates endurance. Um, I was a CrossFit coach for a little bit, and I still hold the cert certification, but I'm not doing it at the moment. But there was something that we were going through called progressive overload, and it was just the concept in the weight room that you had to get stronger, you had to add more weight onto whatever you were doing. And if you never lifted more weight, over years, you would just never get stronger. You would plateau. Um, you wouldn't build muscle. And, and the point for an athlete, you know, if you want to perform in another sport, is the weight room is to make you stronger and faster. And so the, the goal with progressive overload is to continually put more on, put your body under stress that it probably might not be completely ready for, but you do it a little bit at a time and you get a lot stronger. If you, if you lift weights the opposite way, you never put, or if you just put on less over time, you're not going to get stronger. You might build other things, but you're not going to become a stronger person in that way. And so this is the same thing with suffering with Christ. We have progressive overload. You endure the hard things that your body might not be ready for with Christ, and it creates endurance. It creates strength. Now, I don't want us to be weird about suffering either. And there's this tendency to want to say, well, then I should always suffer. Like, like I want to all... It, you don't want to suffer, you know. The goal isn't to say, I'm going to put myself into every situation where I have to suffer. It's to be able to say, suffering is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, and I, I better be prepared for it. Suffering creates endurance in you. But also, what I'm not saying is that you should suffer on your own because suffering on your own does not create endurance in your soul and in your heart. Now, if you put, if someone in here put 800 pounds on the squat bar and you tried to squat 800 pounds right now and you didn't have anybody helping you, you're not going to get better. You're going to get crushed. You're not going to get better. You're going to get crushed. And if your soul and your heart is hit with a weight that you cannot endure on your own, and you try to endure it on your own, you won't get stronger. You will get crushed. This is why that suffering with Jesus creates endurance. Relying on the strength of Christ to help you with your pain does not crush you, builds you up. So your heart and your soul do not gain endurance on their own. Without Jesus, suffering crushes you. But with Jesus, it can lead you to endurance. 
And for some suffering, it's harder to see than others. Some feels like it's never going to end. But that's why we trust in verses 1 and 2 that you have been justified with faith and you have peace with God and the full access to Him in every single thing that you go through. And so you can, in, you can rejoice in the suffering that you endure. Because with Christ, it will produce real, legitimate endurance. That's why Christians can rejoice in their suffering. The second is, we rejoice in our suffering because the end of suffering is hope. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that it, suffering produces endurance. Verse 4, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Another way to say hope is confidence. Suffering produces a confidence in God that would not be there if you had not gone through it. Just like conditioning gives you confidence in your lung capacity, so then the same is that with the confidence that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ through the conditioning of your soul. The things that you go through now are preparing you to endure whatever else is going to come the rest of your life. If you're suffering right now, it is inevitable you will suffer again. It, this, it's going to come until you go to heaven. And so the suffering that you endure right now is producing confidence for the next time. And the end of your current suffering is the confidence for your future suffering. But you have to do it with the peace and the access to God. That you're able to look at the present suffering with both grief and joy because God getting you through it will leave you with hope for whatever pain life has in store and it's going to come. And this happens in our athletic thresholds. Uh, my very first varsity basketball game, I was a sophomore feeling great about myself, like killing JV, like you can't stop me, it was my mentality, I'm going to go play varsity. And I go in against Ashland, and I remember I caught it on the right block, and I literally shot it over the backboard. Like, my first shot over the backboard. It, that should be funny. The ball went over the backboard. It was a layup. Horrible. Okay? Reason being is I was hazy, I was foggy, I was like, what am I doing? This is too much for me. I'm not ready for this. I thought I was ready, and then I went in there, and my heart uh, was beating way faster than it ever beat before. The second time I went into a varsity basketball game is against Mansfield Senior. I could shoot the ball. Like, fine, I'm not going to make a layup, but if you leave me open, that ball is going in. My first jump shot ever in a varsity game, I think it landed 10 feet short. Like, I remember it landing in the key because I wasn't ready. I thought I was ready, but I wasn't ready. But I had to be put through the embarrassment I mean, the embarrassment of this. I needed to be put through the pain of that situation to get better at the game. By my senior year, you know, I, I could play the game a little bit. You can't teach experience. And experience creates confidence. We say on the basketball team that what you do in the summer will show up in October. Either you've prepared for it or you haven't. You know, either I shot the ball over the hoop or I didn't. Either you've suffered through the conditioning or you haven't. And if you show up to tryouts and you hadn't suffered, you're in for a really hard day and probably a really hard few weeks. 
But for those who went through the suffering, they have hope for that day. They have confidence. It's possible to get through this because I've suffered through it before. This is, this is just like the confidence we get when we suffer with Christ. You can't teach experience. And it is inevitable. And with Christ, it is not wasted. So we rejoice in our suffering because we know that if we suffer with Christ, then we're hopeful for the hard things that are going to come next. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And He is building in you a resiliency that is not there without Him. And the last thing is this. Why do we rejoice in our suffering? Because God's love is poured into our hearts. Hope does not put us to shame, but because, sorry, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If life is hard and sufferings come my way, how can I ever experience peace and rest? The answer lies in verse 5. Because the love of God consistently is poured into you by the Holy Spirit, helping you experience Jesus while you have to endure pain. The Spirit's like a river, always pouring out living water. The living water of Christ into your heart over and over and over again. We need reminded and we need to be consistent and we need to come back to the river. We need the living water over and over and over again. And with the peace and full access of God, the living water is at our fingertips. We can rejoice in our suffering because we have the living water of God all the time. All the time. Life on earth will have difficult days, but we face these difficult days with the Holy Spirit guiding us and reminding us of the love of God that we have. His love makes the hard days bearable. It doesn't crush you. You don't have to squat 800 pounds on your own. Your soul has the strength of Christ in it. We're not humiliated on our last day, but we're glorified by God in heaven. So we don't suffer alone. We suffer with the love of God in Christ. Later in the same letter to Romans, Paul talks about the current sufferings that he has. And he says that he can't even consider the sufferings of the world to be in comparison with the glory that he has in heaven. Because the glory that he has in heaven is the full access to God. And the love that we receive from God outshines any sort of suffering that you could ever have. But better yet, Jesus is our great motivator, but He's also the best model. The, suf- the love of God outshines your suffering, but also the love of God has experienced your suffering as well. And so you have a motivator, Jesus, but you also have a model, Jesus as well. He has been suffered He has suffered in every possible way so that you don't suffer alone. Jesus was tempted by Satan to walk into sin. 
in the garden or uh, in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan to walk into sin, and he suffered in that way. A lot was expected from Jesus. If you feel like that, there's a lot expected. I mean, the crowds are like, Jesus, you got to come heal everybody. A lot was expected by him from him. When Jesus wanted to be alone, the crowd wanted his full attention, and so he suffered in that way. Jesus was rejected by the people that he loved the most. His own people rejected the cornerstone. And he suffered in that way, and he mourned over them. Jesus suffered by experiencing the loss of a great friend in Lazarus. Jesus was abandoned by his best friends. He was physically put through the pain of the crucifixion. And finally, in the last moment, Jesus was abandoned by his own father. And yet, he willingly took it all so that he could sympathize with you in your weakness. You can rejoice in your suffering because you know you have a king who has also suffered. You can struggle well because Jesus struggled well. And Jesus was crushed so that you never have to be. So what do we do? It's two, two suggestions. Number one, instead, instead of finding the immediate way out of the struggle, ask God what he's trying to teach you in the, in the struggle. Sometimes God does not get you out of the struggle right now because there's something that he's trying to teach you. The second thing is to practice dependence. The times that I'm most aware of my need for God is when I am most desperate for him because of pain. We are not independent in any way. This is a great fallacy of the young adults that I feel that we can just be independent humans. And I'm here to tell you, nobody in the history of the world has ever been independent. You are dependent on something or someone you are not self-sufficient. So practice dependence. Dependence on God and, here's the sweet thing about the local church, dependence on each other. We're to practice depending on each other. And if you are not going through pain at the moment, you can practice being someone that they can depend on. And so we carry each other's burdens together. The best place that you can be as a Christian is in the presence of the Lord, depending on His strength with the community of believers around you. And if that's you, you can rejoice in the hard things that you go through because you are being made stronger than you would have been before. And you can be comforted, Paul says this in Corinthians, so that one day you will be able to comfort others. That's what it means to be comforted by the Lord. I'm going to pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.